Roxy, how are you feeling a few days after our midwinter spa day? Mm, refreshed, hydrated, definitely more spiritual. Also, I want to do it again. We went at the beginning of Lent. So basically, we were fasting from dry skin and sore muscles. Oh, I like that. Yeah. We do know Jesus was into mud masks. So (laughs) the time he rubbed mud and spit. Mud masks and spit. (laughs) Yes, they did not offer that at the spa we went to. But I can see it now. The Messiah mud mask. Only $300 plus a free consultation. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City a podcast from two Christian women staying hydrated and holy in the hustle and bustle of New York. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. For real, I do want to go back soon. And I love a sauna. I love a steam room. I even... You know, could get into the cold water plunge for a very short period of time. (laughs) It was great. I did love the plunge. I mean, love, hate it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the friends we were with said that withstanding extreme heat and cold makes you more resilient, like mentally. Do do you feel that now? (laughs) Well, I did just have to do a shot of espresso. 4 p.m. So I don't know how much stronger (laughs) I feel mentally or more resilient. Hmm. I suppose like so many wellness tips, though, it's really about whether you believe it's true. Mm -hmm. If you believe it will work, then it will work. Yeah. Wellness is definitely more in the faith realm than the science realm. Mm. A lot of things marketed to us as taking care of ourselves aren't actually scientifically proven to work. That doesn't keep millions of Americans from seeking their salvation to the tune of $4.4 trillion. (laughs) Like a year? I don't know, but it's still a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Just $4.4 trillion. In 2022, it was $5.6 trillion globally. That's a lot of mud masks. (laughs) Jesus should start charging for those. (laughs) What even is wellness? Do we have a definition, an agreed upon one? Well, what comes to your mind when I say wellness? Cleanses, like detoxifying cleanses, yoga or Pilates, yoga with goats, baby goats. (laughs) That's a new one. Pills with different vitamins that I've never heard of before or essential oils. That was big for a while. Mm. There's a whole, like, Christian wellness. (laughs) We're not really focusing on today, but it's a whole other separate but related thing. Right. Like salt from the Dead Sea or something. Yeah. My understanding is wellness is all of those things that you Mm -hmm. just mentioned. It is so intentionally broad, which is why it's so lucrative. But basically, it's the pursuit of well-being outside of medicine. Mm. So everything from exercise to food regimens, soaks and serums, things you put on your face, different kinds of retreats, Mm. laughing retreats, screaming retreats, (laughs) sex retreats. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It does feel like what all of these uh, wellness products have in common is that they're products, as in they're for sale. And somebody's profiting on them, which always like, 
I never know the efficacy of any of these things. You know, there's always that like the FDA has not actually approved these statements at the bottom mm-hmm. of all of these products, but they're like all targeted at women or really primarily targeted at women. Yes. I mean, you don't have to scroll on Instagram for long to see something marketed to you because the algorithm knows that we're like mm-hmm. <laughs> white middle class women living in an urban area and have disposable income, some kind of serum, pill, soak, mask. And like, sometimes I just am like, I'm just going to buy the thing. Like, I feel worn down. Like, yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> like, sure, I'll buy it because I'm just so tired of you suggesting it to me. <laughs> the algorithm is good. Oh my gosh. What is something you've given into and bought? Okay. I really do like this product (laughs) and we are not, (laughs) we are not getting paid. It's just a moisturizing facial cream from a brand called Ursa Major. And it's like the golden hour recovery cream and it's super light and fluffy and like Mm. light green colored, which I'm sure is supposed to make you feel like, oh, this is green. I think it is actually just derived from natural plant products and Mm -hmm. it works i really like it do you put it on doreen golden hour like it doesn't work otherwise (laughs) well yeah as with a lot of wellness products there seems to be an attachment to like astrological cycles um (laughs) no i put it on at 11 o'clock most nights but Mm. what's the most wellnessy thing that you have done besides go to the spa well (laughs) For a milestone birthday not too long ago, I went to Tulum and Tulum, Mexico is like the epicenter of a lot of wellness stuff and has been for a long, long time. Mm. But in addition to drinking Negronis, which was not part of the wellness, <laughs> sobriety is often part of wellness, but yeah. Mescal Negronis to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So I did like a, um, first of all, a really amazing massage that definitely involved mud. This is a theme. And was kind of in like the rainforest. And there was like these showers that you went and washed in. And of course, they talked about like the cleansing waters of this one pool that you would go in to wash the clay off. Like the pool of Siloam. just like that and I don't think she spit on me before she put the clay on but I don't know (laughs) just a little droplet it was a great massage and then afterwards we went to like this hut where you know there was kind of like some incense and it was very hot and we were supposed to kind of like really sweat a lot I mean it was sort of like a sauna but but culturally Mm -hmm. appropriative which I feel like is like a kind of big part of the wellness industry too. Yes. I mean, this has been going on in like alternative religious spaces Mm -hmm. in the West for a very long time. The fetishization of Eastern religion and practices. And indigenous. Yeah. Like we can just kind of pull from all these different historically and geographically rooted traditions if it works for us. Mm -hmm. One of our reporters last year wrote a piece about how like we're over harvesting white sage because people are like trying to smudge their homes so much yeah so that's another wellness oh yeah I mean it's obvious that part of what people are seeking beyond community and beyond kind of spiritual resources is just I want to feel better Mm. 
I feel burnt out. I feel exhausted in my body. I have too much going on. Women in particular, if they are working and raising children and also often shouldering like the household load, Mm -hmm. these wellness solutions come along and offer like a pathway out of that. And it helps that it's then shared among other women. It's like a marker of identity Mm -hmm. to like see your mom friends at Pilates or at Lululemon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't mean to stereotype these women. (laughs) But part of the reason that I think we stereotype is because this whole industry is kind of built on an ideal and is built on a lot of insecurities about not being able to reach the ideal, which the ideal is usually like looking young, being really skinny, (laughs) having Mm -hmm. money to pay for all of these things, like a status. So, I mean this industry really preys on insecurities built on an unattainable ideal that's shoved in our faces constantly. Yeah. I think there's a real life question about whether wellness culture is just diet culture repackaged. Like Mm -hmm. we kind of know that compared with 10 or 20 years ago, right? We don't want to promote weight loss in such a direct way or dieting in such a direct way because we don't want women to feel bad about their bodies and their size, but a lot of women are still internalizing a thinness ideal. So if we just Mm -hmm. go about it by packaging it more as self-care to do a fast or a juice cleanse or to essentially not have any caloric content, that's like a little bit more palatable to a lot of American women than is like Weight Watchers, right? Right. And of course, one of the uh, queens... Mm-hmm. of wellness culture is also famous for a diet of what like lemons and paprika in hot water or cayenne lemons and cayenne in hot water <laughs> wasn't that her whole thing are you talking about Gwyneth mm-hmm. it's funny that you bring up Gwyneth and we really can't have this conversation without talking about the OG women's wellness brand which has OG in it actually <laughs> yeah if you spell it backwards it's poog <laughs> which I think they should have gone with. So I have a little pop quiz for you about goop culture. Oh, We're all familiar with goop, this mega wellness brand launched by Paltrow in 2008. The name comes from her initials. Oh, wow. But apparently also an executive once told her that the most successful internet companies have double O's in their name. <laughs> the only two I could think of was Google and Facebook. I couldn't think of any others. Well, that's, that's two. Apple has two P's. <laughs> You're right, Roxy. <laughs> Which are like O's with tails. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So there's something there. Maybe because they look like boobs. Uh-huh. Which also has double O's. I always thought goop was just sort of like the products are all kind of goopy. <laughs> That is not an entirely wrong (laughs) assumption. All right, give it to me. Okay, I present to you a pop quiz, The World According to Goop. Get it. I do get it. (laughs) Okay. So Goop has been through all these controversies and, you know, headlines pretty much from the Mm. beginning. And one Mm -hmm. of the most famous controversies was about the Yoni egg, which was sold on the Goop website for $66. 
Goop was fined $145,000 in 2018 for essentially false advertising. What does the yoni egg purport to do? What is the yoni egg? Is this the one that you you stick somewhere? (laughs) I think we all know what you're talking about (laughs) at this point. And that is the correct answer. So ding, ding, ding. Uh, I don't remember. Was it just supposed to like regulate your cycle? Oh, it did all sorts of things, Roxy. It amped up your libido. It created a pH balance. Mm. This is from the marketing. It connects the second chakra, which is the heart and your yoni for ultimate well-being. Also appropriative. Yes. I mean, that is the center of a woman, you know? (laughs) Uh, Okay, next question. Goop used to sell a spray on its website that would protect you from what? This is multiple choice. One, toxic workplaces. Two, vampires. Or three, debt. Wow. No idea. Any of those could be plausible. Toxic workplaces. The answer is vampires. Oh, darn. And they didn't get sued over false advertising on that one? (laughs) Oh, well, important detail. It's psychic vampires. So basically anything that sucks positive energy from you and gives you bad energy the spray protects you from so a toxic workplace yeah i mean i do (laughs) actually think that would be a great place to use the vampire (laughs) repellent spray so uh, partial credit (laughs) and finally one of the weirdest products sold on the goop website is a lamp made out of what food seaweed almonds or bread I mean, the only one of those things I can imagine making a lamp is almonds. Is that your final answer? Just for the longevity? (laughs) I guess that's not the right one. (laughs) Seaweed would make a pretty lamp, but stinky. Yeah, I have questions about how the lamp is preserved. Okay. But it is something that they really sell on the website. Seaweed, almonds, or bread. Oh, seaweed. The answer is bread. (laughs) Oh, man, that is the one I did not think it was. Well, because, you know, bread is not a typically a clean thing to have around in these parts. Mm. Yeah, it's a lamp made out of bread and it's it's like a loaf and it's $200. Do you plug it in? It's called the Batard bread lamp and it has an LED light fixed in Mm. it. But it says it has a power cord with a dimmer switch. Mm-hmm. Great. And it's made from flour, salt, yeast, LED lights, and a power cord. I have a lot of questions about that. For sure. <laughs> so you conquered the world according to Goop. And so does our guest today, who we'll hear from later. Rina Raphael is the author of the book, The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop, and the False Promise of Self-Care. Our conversation with Rina is coming up. I've noticed lately that it seems like more Christian communities are getting into the wellness craze. In particular, Lent 
seems to be a uh, real moment to meld wellness culture and Christian tradition and spirituality. You know, because you can fast, Mm -hmm. you can cleanse during Lent, Mm -hmm. which makes your diet holy. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like Lent is the church season that lends itself very naturally to like self-improvement or Mm -hmm. self-care. Like, does it feel like churches or Christian communities are kind of trying to tap into the wellness interest? Hmm. At its best, the church has always had a contemplative mysticism side of it. Mm -hmm. And that is adjacent to or similar to some of the the wellness practices. There is like a lot of a lot of ways that Christians have deprived the body in order to get closer to God or in order to experience, you know, maybe spiritual epiphany or empathy mm-hmm. in a more bodily way with the poor or even to have transformative spiritual experiences like visions. If you don't eat food for 3 days you're going to start seeing stuff probably. I mean, a lot of these, the Christian mystics, mm-hmm. like maybe they just had really low blood sugar, but that's yeah. a very modern scientific way to frame it. I remember reading that recent book on breathing. I think it's called Breath, which is not wellness, but sort of has that connection to like if you do this thing with your body, if you just breathe better, you know, mm-hmm. actually, I recommend the book. It's really great. But he talks a lot about how all of these different like religious traditions have like breathing practices, you know, including Mm -hmm. the Christian tradition with breath prayer. And that to me is like an example of of a way that wellness and spirituality can in good ways be fused and in helpful ways be fused. But often the ways that I think that is true do not involve buying anything. Right. It strikes me that breath work, breath prayer focusing on your breathing, literally everybody can do it and it costs you nothing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go out and find the perfect product to fix the thing that feels bad or wrong inside of you. It is available to everybody. It also strikes me that something like fasting, even though we've could critiqued how fasting is basically just repackaged diet culture in a lot of wellness culture, it's something that Again, a lot of religious traditions have as a kind of spiritual exercise. At anybody can do it. It's not about slimming down before mm-hmm. a big event. It's about either physically realizing your dependence on God or remembering all the other fellow humans who do not have enough food to eat and you're practicing solidarity. Is it okay, though? If you benefit personally from some of these practices, like, you know, I think in some caricatures of Christian asceticism, it's basically like pain is good. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. You're supposed to identify with Jesus in his physical suffering as you physically suffer. You're not supposed to like it or benefit from it. (laughs) Yeah. So, Should we recapture some of that or is it okay to be like, actually, when I fast, you know, I have greater mental clarity and I can fit in that dress before the big event. What a modern thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is. I don't mean, I don't know the answer for everyone for all time, but I think for me, I have not done a food fast 
for Lent or a food related fast for Lent mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would get something out of it that doesn't feel healthy to me, it, that it would distract from the purpose of it or that it would sort of baptize something that might actually be like a little unhealthy. I mean, some of the Lent practices that you see recommended now are not even trying to be about self-denial. They're basically like, you know, Lent is a time to practice gratitude or Lent is a time to reach out to your friends more often. Like they're positive steps, basically something you want to change in your life and create to be a habit. They're additive often instead of attractive. And I don't think that that's wrong. I just don't think that is the original spirit of Lent. Mm -hmm. In addition to the spiritual practices being related to God and to other people and our how we see other people or solidarity with other people, it's also like these are meant to be practiced with other people. One of my favorite things that Rena talks about in our conversation and also in her book is actually that organized religion has been offering wellness in a holistic way to people for a very, very long time and does it better, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like they've had a lot of practice. Yes. And she emphasizes, you know, that a big part of wellness is actually rooted in being in community, that so much of what the hole it's trying to fill in some ways is how isolated we all feel and unsupported. Mm -hmm. And if we weren't all burned out and exhausted from our jobs and, you know, worried about our health insurance and living far away from family and community because of said job, like we wouldn't need all of the wellness industry to be filling all of this. I think we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but one of the things that I really loved about beginning to attend like a higher church tradition was the incense, which feels mm-hmm. very wellness world too. But I do think there's something so so embodied about the church experience, in particular the kinds of churches that have those kind of sensory aspects to them that are actually emphasized. Mm-hmm. And I do feel better after I go to church Mm. in the way that I feel like wellness promises. Like I feel connected Mm -hmm. to community. I feel connected to like a higher power to God. I feel like I've breathed deeply. I've maybe smelled some incense. I've sung songs, which is like another, you know, sort of another restorative Mm -hmm. activity. So I feel like if you go to church every week, there's a lot built in that offers that kind of embodied, ritualistic, rejuvenating, (laughs) moisturizing, definitely moisturizing, anti-aging. What is in that communion bread, you know? Community and embodied ritual that has been found in traditional religion is one of the reasons that our guest today, Rina Raphael, found herself returning to synagogue after her father's death and after several years away. We'll talk to her about that and more, but first we need to give a shout out to our sponsor. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. 
From ash cleansers to the zodiac, RNS has contemporary spirituality covered A to Z. If you love what we're doing here at Saved by the City, be sure to leave us a rating or a review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show. This week, we wanted to especially thank one of our listeners from across the pond who shared some SBTC love with us. Katie wrote, many thanks for the podcast. I've been listening since 2021, all the way from Blighty. I appreciate how you balance intelligent critique and insight into all things Christendom with a bit of humor along the way. Katie also took the time to suggest some great future guest and topic ideas. And since we're just starting season seven, we're eager to hear your ideas as well. So basically, everybody, be like Katie and do leave us a rating or a review or send us an email. You can send that email to sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary. In a series of inspiring conversations, celebrating our diversity, and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. We are delighted today to be joined by Rena Raphael, author of the book, The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop, and the False Promise of Self-Care. Thanks so much for being here, Rena. Hello. Excited to be here. So we'll be talking about wellness today, Mm -hmm. and wellness is a very broad term, as you know, in your book. It's basically the pursuit of well-being beyond traditional medicine, and that's very broad. And you say that that's kind of the point that have such a broad definition. So what are we talking about when we're talking about today's wellness industry? Yeah, I've been a wellness industry reporter for the last eight years. And I think it's really telling that the number one question that I'm asked is, so what is wellness? Uh, everyone <laughs> is so confused by it. Because um, we're really talking about over a dozen subsectors, nutrition, fitness, sleep, stress management. Mm-hmm. And the categories keep expanding. You know, wellness can now include skincare masks. Mm-hmm. So wellness could just as easily mean meditation and yoga as it does activated charcoal toothpaste. And that's kind of the problem. It's ever expanding Mm -hmm. and grabbing more and more sort of categories under its umbrella. Everyone wants to be a wellness company now, including like the automobile industry is now saying that they're involved in wellness. So the problem is that when something means everything, it starts to mean absolutely nothing. And that's where we are now. There is real wellness. And then there are all these pseudoscientific and crazy, silly things like CBD toilet paper that are now advertised to us. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. (laughs) CBD toilet paper? (laughs) Say more. (laughs) Maybe we should just talk about that today. I have never tried it, but I mean, I think a lot of manufacturers understand now that as long as they put certain buzzy Mm -hmm. keywords, anything involving CBD or CMOS, or even sort of, you know, health-inducing terms like GMO-free, organic, these are things that Mm -hmm. people are willing to spend more for. Now, whether or not these things are actually, have any research behind them, whether they actually work, Mm -hmm. that doesn't really matter. There's no one sort of overseeing any of this stuff. So as long as you put something as clean or natural, 
they just know that people are willing to fall for it. And that's kind of the problem. I am curious about the sort of mashing of wellness and spirituality as a category, (laughs) because in some ways they make sense and in a lot of ways they really don't make sense. Can you talk a little bit about like how you saw that happen and in what ways maybe you think that's great and in what ways you think that's really uncomfortable pairing? Yeah, health for certain people is kind of acting a bit like deconstructed religion. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of tongue in cheek. I'm not being literal here. I'm not saying that people are actively sort of, you know, shunning their organized religion for wellness. But I do make the case that health has emerged as a regulatory framework, much like religion, telling people how to live. So Mm -hmm. it's providing them with identity, community, meaning, purpose, guidance. And so there is the aspect of just people pursuing health as its own noble pursuit, and I give examples of that. And then there's something else, which is sort of new alt spirituality. And these are the people who are suddenly turning to astrology or manifestation or clutching their crystals. What you find in the United States, which is a very religious country, is that people might be shunning organized religion But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not spiritual. In fact, you know, nine out of 10 Americans consider themselves spiritual. So in that vacuum, something is going to take that void. Mm -hmm. And these alternatives come in and I explain why they're not perfect alternatives for multiple reasons. They can be very, very problematic. But yes, if you go into any yoga studio or, you know, I'm in LA, which is ground zero for wellness, suddenly Mm. everyone's talking about their manifestation coach or like what the stars have aligned for them. They're actually making business decisions and family planning decisions around these things. And it sounds a lot like organized religion. Mm -hmm. It's providing direction. Yeah, exactly. Going back a little bit, you were in New York City, had a bustling career here. You write about the fact that it was you know, very exciting, but it included just so much stress and exhaustion. And you just found yourself burnt out. And then you turned to some wellness solutions. And so what were things that helped you in that time? And what were they offering to you in this place of burnout? Yeah, well, I'll just give one example. It was like herding cats to get my friends together. Mm-hmm. Nobody had time to see each other. Everyone was working in these high-paced jobs. And by the time they were finished with work, everyone just wanted to go home and veg out in front of Netflix and order in Thai food. Sounds familiar. And, um, you know, I grew up Orthodox Jewish. And I missed what my family had, which is that mm-hmm. my parents very rarely made plans with friends. They would go to synagogue every week and everyone would just be there. Sure, they invited people over for lunch and dinner, but it was a really contained community. We all lived within, I'd say, about a one and a half mile radius because we had Mm -hmm. to walk to synagogue. Everyone was close by. That was not what I experienced in Manhattan. And it's not that I didn't have friends. It's just that no one had time to be there for one another. And what did gyms do? All these boutique fitness gyms, they advertise how they were, you know, quote unquote, your tribe, your community, your family. There was a Mm. lot of ways that, and especially you look at a place like SoulCycle or other institutions that actually really kind of model themselves after religious institutions. And that was really, really appealing to me. But as I explain in the book, it's really not equivalent because if you lose your job, Good luck going to your soul cycle and saying, hey, but you're my family. I can still come, right? You probably won't be able to go to soul cycle anymore <laughs> if you lose your job. 
But not even that. You know, when I was a reporter at Fast Company Magazine, I wrote about this new gym that was opening in Soho, and it was just for pregnant women. And when I interviewed the women about why they were going to a gym just for pregnant women, they all told me the same thing. Oh, I loved my gym. That was my family. I went there for years. But as soon as they saw the bump, they kicked me out. Hmm. Wow. The idea that you're centering your entire community around physical fitness, people get sick. People Mm -hmm. break a leg. I mean, this is where it's not really a perfect community outlet. You note that two-thirds of U.S. women devote, this is crazy, half of their wardrobe to leisure wear. I imagine the pandemic had something to do with that. But why do you think wellness is so alluring to women in particular? First of all, it's helpful sometimes to distinguish what women are attracted to. So, you know, it's not like if you say you're attracted to wellness, you're interested in everything, right? Because mm-hmm. it could just as easily mean, you know, a fitness tracker as it does a yoga class. We are seeing a, a widespread adoption of women, and that's because there are certain trends that all converge when you're talking about the wellness industry. So this idea that women are looking for community, uh, they're looking for social support, they can find that in boutique fitness gyms. This idea that a lot of wellness is mainly conflated with thinness. Mm -hmm. So that is another trend that you're seeing a lot with a lot of these things that are sort of like, you know, clean diets or, you know, even in the fitness industry, it's really about getting thin more than it is about necessarily health. Mm -hmm. We see that with beauty as well. If you're talking about spirituality, in general, women are more spiritual than men. That is usually across the board. And the reason sort of things like astrology or manifestation appeal to women is because they're kind of deregulated. There is no one person in charge, and it's not marred by any controversies. They can't necessarily point to a leader overall who's Mm -hmm. done something wrong. They feel like it's more equitable. They feel like it's more democratic in a weird way, but also that if you were to believe the stats, women are more stressed than men. Oftentimes, what you're talking about, women who are most interested in this category, they are women who are of an, uh, I would say, high income status. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are taking care of the kids at home and they have a full-time job. They have the double Mm -hmm. shift. They don't Mm -hmm. have a community outlet. Uh, They don't have, you know, let's say, a community resource to depend on. They are not sleeping. They don't feel like they're eating well. They are, like many of us, feel just overwhelmed by the news, the politics, keeping up with life. And here comes an industry that does one thing very well, dangle solutions. Mm-hmm. You're not sleeping, uh, put on this tracker. Feel like you don't have enough energy, take this supplement. Not seeing friends, join this fitness studio. Any single issue that you have, it's come up with a solution. Whether or not it works is a whole separate other thing. But it's mm-hmm. sort of, gives this glimmer of hope to people that they can reach salvation if they follow these certain steps. Mm -hmm. Very rarely are you asked to look at the reasons why you're so stressed or lonely or Mm -hmm. unhappy. Maybe you just need a different product. So it just seems like such a a self-perpetuating cycle that would keep women essentially consuming more, Mm -hmm. seeking to fix something that's actually a systemic problem, not a problem that can be fixed in like a consumer choice. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because a lot of people who are interested in wellness like to put down the medical industry and they'll say things like, oh, the medical industry never looks at the root causes. And they're kind of doing the same thing with wellness. It's kind right. of just treating the symptoms as if the reason that you're so stressed is because you didn't do enough yoga or you didn't buy enough CBD creams. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, this is how workplace wellness programs work. They're constantly trying to sell you on some meditation program or yoga after work but very rarely <laughs> offering time off or less of a workload. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is real self-care, policies and systemic solutions, mm-hmm. not another skincare mask. It's almost offensive to women. Hmm. I would almost use the term gaslighting of what mm-hmm. this industry tells them that they need to do to be well. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that the pandemic did is that it made a lot of people realize like, hey, maybe I don't need to go on a Sephora shopping spree. Maybe I just need to sit down for 15 minutes with a cup of tea. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe I just need to go to bed at 11 and sleep until 7. I know that's complicated for a lot of people, but it seems like some of the solutions that are within our grasp and agency are just kind of good old-fashioned, boring, like, health tips. Like, if you get good sleep and you drink water and you eat relatively healthy, you will probably feel better. Yeah, and I mean, it's not easy for a lot of people, especially those who are short on time, but even something like having a very hard conversation with your partner about helping with the kids more. I mean, this idea of that everything needs to be treated with just more products and more classes and more retreats Mm -hmm. is just quite ridiculous. Mm. Well, and it does feel like a privilege. There's so much like class and race elements built into this too, where it's like, if you have the time, if you have the money, if you have the access, then you can be well. A lot of the people who probably really need a lot of self-care and wellness. And it's like, they can't afford all of these things. They need health insurance or maternity leave or a living wage. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's not even about cost. It's sometimes more about time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been so many initiatives around food deserts, around areas where people don't necessarily have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I I can't tell you how many panels or talks I see where people are like, we just need to get them fresh fruits and vegetables. If you go to those areas of this country and just interview people and say, hey, we'll drop off all those fresh fruit and vegetables at your doorstep, they will tell you, and who's going to cook it? I'm working two Mm -hmm. jobs and I'm taking Mm -hmm. care of my kids. How am I going to cook all of this? The reason oftentimes fast food is the option for these people is because they're short on time. So I think sometimes people just don't think through what these people's lives are actually like and how hard it is for them sometimes. I've only been to uh, a series of spin classes at my local Y, so it's not a fancy place at all. (laughs) But my experience in those classes where everybody's really amped up and our, our teacher is super positive and energetic and encouraging us, like I totally got why it spoke to people's religious and spiritual dimensions and desires and that desire for community. But it's obvious that there those places can only meet you so far, especially in places of difficulty, suffering. Rena, you talk in your book about your father's death in 2020 and realizing that you know, what you needed in that time of grief really couldn't be found in a place like Soul Cycle. So you say you returned to synagogue in that season. What did you find there? Why was that such a good place for you to be in in that time? 
Yeah, I just think this idea of placing all of your values and all your self-worth in what essentially amounts to your body. I mean, you can almost say worshiping your body. It only goes so far. I mean, there are no communal rights for the passing of a family member, for having a child. There are all these things that to mark the sense of time, uh, to commemorate milestones that you just can't get from a gym. Not even to mention the fact that I go into a class and I have maybe you know 10 or 15 minutes before the next class comes in. I mean, how much mm-hmm. time do I have to be with these people? There is something to be said about how it's all focused on the physical that can be really, really lacking. And by the way, this is not just even the religious treatment of health. I found a lot of issues even within the alternative spirituality space. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that I found a lot of times within manifestation or astrology was really focused on the self. It was all about what the stars are going to tell me about some mm-hmm. job offer. It was oftentimes about how I can build up my self-worth to get something that I really, really want in life. And very rarely, I mean, never did I see any of these sort of leaders talk about giving back, charity. It was so self-focused, and unfortunately, I think that's what's only adding to the loneliness epidemic. Mm. When everything is centered around me, myself, and my credit card, it kind of leads you back to loneliness. And it's so funny because one of the biggest pillars of wellness is social support, and it's one of the areas that I think has been traditionally quite ignored by this industry, Mm. probably because it's very hard to monetize. And so it just seems like everyone just keeps retreating further and further inward. And Mm -hmm. that was sort of my problem. And so when I went to synagogue and I recited the Kaddish, which is a prayer that you say for the dead, and you do it every day for a year with your community three times a day, Mm -hmm. that's really, really powerful. And this is what I mean by that. You know, And again, people are always like, you're such an advocate for organized religion. Is the Pope paying you? (laughs) It's not that. It's that I think that organized religion has had centuries to perfect itself Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that I think this industry hasn't. You know, you're at ground zero in Los Angeles, but a lot of the wellness industry isn't inherently American, how have people outside the United States responded to some of what you're reporting on? Yeah. So there are obviously trends that are worldwide now, like yoga. But Mm -hmm. the type of industry we have here that's sort of bursting with productivity pressures and products and pseudoscience, that is actually uniquely American. Mm. And, you know, I once went to a conference, uh, a wellness conference, and I, I spoke to an Italian researcher and I asked him, I was like, oh, what's wellness like in your country? And he just started laughing and he was like, yeah, we don't use that word. We don't need it. Uh, we take like two hour lunches. We get like six to eight weeks vacation. Our family yeah. all lives nearby. Like we don't need wellness. You need wellness. So there are certain reasons why oh. wellness has taken off <laughs> in America. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. also the fact, you know, my book also came out in the UK. And it's interesting seeing the response there versus in the US because UK audiences read my book and they're like, people are actually buying and doing this stuff. Like they kind of laugh mm-hmm. it off. They don't believe it. And they are in America doing this stuff. And that's partially because we're a more optimistic nation. Mm. We were built on optimism and hard work. It's those two traits, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, we are the people that ventured out west to secure our golden fortunes. We built Hollywood, a dream factory. And so we very much want to believe 
that a supplement is going to make us feel better, that the mm-hmm. CBD cream is going to solve our problems. We're naturally optimistic, but you know, the dark side of optimism is gullibility. And so mm-hmm. a bunch of different countries are sending all their supplements to us because they know we're gonna buy it. And America, more than just loving to buy stuff because we're a very consumerist nation, just loves an easy fix and they want to believe in that mm-hmm. easy fix. And so that's why you're seeing so many pseudoscientific items just popping off the shelves. Thank you so much for yeah. such a fascinating conversation, Rena. I know that our listeners will be really interested to hear about your findings and your book. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That was great. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Safe by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Julia Windham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.